one of the most powerful lessons I encountered when working with the Montessori method for education was this. We have all the time we need. We have all the time we need. There's so much grace and space in such a simple affirmation. And that affirmation comes from a place of deep fracture. Dr. Marita Montessori developed her method in classrooms in schools from the most impoverished children in the Italian ghettos of the early 1900s. These children were malnourished, living in unhealthy, crowded conditions, many of whom were developmentally disabled. In society, they were considered less than. They were the least of these in that society. But Dr. Montessori wanted to see what could come from them, what could happen, what could emerge for these children. And she experimented with various methods to engage them. And the way that she did this was to follow their lead and their feedback. So she would try, put something together, you know, a, a, a toy, a craft, or an activity, whatever it might be, put that in front of the children and see what they did with it see how they responded, whether they engaged or did not. And at every turn, she observed, changed materials and size and shape and color, everything based on whether and how they worked with what was in the space. And over time, what emerged was what many of us know as a Montessori method, child-sized furniture, space filled with light and nature, Lessons that were ones that drew the children kind of naturally in their, you know, it stimulated their curiosity and wonder and sense of discovery, motivated by their own progress. They were stimulating materials with texture and form and natural materials, and it let each child move at their own speed. The adults were guides and the children set the pace. In the decades since Montessori's earliest developments, religious educators have since adapted the method for different faith traditions, for Catholic, Protestant, Unitarian Universalist, Jewish, among others. And this is how I encountered it, as being trained in a religious education version of the Montessori method for Unitarian Universalists. And so when I'm in a classroom, it's been a while, but I've, I've always enjoyed being in, uh, in that kind of classroom space. I always try to lead with, we have all the time we need. And I will say it's good for me, <laughs> and I hope good for the children. That reminder on the regular of that grace and space now, granted, the constraints of, you know, the clock on Sunday morning and the typical uh, time that there is available for a Sunday school or religious education lesson 
is a bit at odds with the message, I will grant. But at every possible moment, the room, the teacher, the class is encouraged to live in that spirit. We have all the time we need. And the point, in large part, is to provide the most freedom, the most grace and opportunity for discovery, to let that being together liberate and lead us all onward. But it also is a space and an opportunity to help let us wrestle with what's also where we're stuck as well, where things are not great, when something is difficult, when something is not okay. Even, even at some level where we are broken. We have all the time we need is a container large enough to allow for all of the existential and emotional and physical questions and hardships and wanderings. You can see this uh, with children in the, in the space that's the work time because we have a story, we might tell a story, but then go and have a space where the children can choose from anything they want to work with in the room. Um, and I will say it might have been one of my children who took that time to draw Ghostbusters figures for an entire year. I don't know what he was working with. I don't know. But that was clearly something that needed to be allowed and present. And so we had pictures of Slimer and all the Ghostbusters in great detail for a whole year. That's the space, right? Who'd love to have a chance to just choose that, right? Yeah, right? Wow. That's what we can do. I am struck by how much we need, even crave, a spacious container when the real life of our lives is so time-limited and constrained. Because time is such our dearest resource, is it not? And yet it also passes by in days, weeks, years, in such a blink. So we have, when we first offer that message, we have all the time we need while we are fully mortal and while we are each and every one of us a hot mess. Yes. I mean, that's the nature of the struggle in, in our human institutions and in our religious bodies is to allow for we are fully mortal and we are fully wonderful and we are fully all over the place. My motivation for talking about this to a certain degree is recognizing how much we don't know about each other and sometimes even ourselves until we are faced with the end of our lives. How much we miss the chance to be in that spaciousness, in that graciousness with each other and to be more fully known. 
I can't tell you how many times I wish that we would find ways to not wait till there's a memorial to tell our story, right? Right? But so much of how we live our lives is in a sense of self-protection. How much it can be hard to be known, not just because of where we don't always know what to do with our cracks and fractures, but also for the sake of protecting our social image. I'm okay. Look at me. I'm okay. I'm good. Mm -hmm. How are you doing today? I'm great. Yep. The stakes are so high. And this is our life. How might we serve ourselves and each other and grow the kind of grace that could bring all of ourselves into the world We are so finite and so flawed. Where do we begin? And I recognize we have this question in the moment of when so many of us are feeling such an enhanced risk and danger and brokenness in the world, not of our own making, where there's so many ways in which difference in our social world is being actively squashed, just to name our trans neighbors and our children, or that you have people censoring books and art that would expand the mind and the spirit. And we already have such a long struggle as a society with recognizing the brokenness that shows up in our mental health concerns. We're getting better, but there's still such a long way to go. Unitarian Universalism really tries to offer a message of come as you are. Come as you are, whatever that means to you. And sometimes it's dressing up, and sometimes you feel good for having, like, a fresh handkerchief. Oh, maybe, there's a, maybe not there's a handkerchief, but you're here, and that's good. But it's also in the case in Unitarian Universalism that there's a certain legacy of uh, that we don't necessarily, that we kind of put on a good face with each other, that we put on a good show of being okay. We don't have uh, the concern about original sin, but we do have a certain legacy of sometimes what people might call salvation by character. Like you show that you are doing spiritually well by, by your own uh, effort, by your own metal, by your own work. And sometimes that can have a certain pressure to it to say, if you're, not, if you're not feeling up to the task of taking care of yourself, of building your own character, then are you a failure in the faith? We get that from, honestly, from the 1800s, William Ellery Channing and many others as well as our social context. We are as susceptible as many other faiths towards the striving for perfection. But what I love about Unitarian Universalism is that we are not perfect. And we are not trying to be. That we are a place of spaciousness where we can allow for the full humanity of ourselves and of each other. 
this is partially what has been carrying me through being part of this congregation and part of Unitarian Universalism for my entire life. And that there is room to mess up and to learn and to try again. We are not a perfection tradition. We are a wisdom tradition. And sometimes we even actually grow more wise. I want to invite you into a moment of reflection and spaciousness and just allow ourselves a time. Give yourself the grace of being less than excellent or less than wonderful, less than perfect, I should say. Let this be a moment to enter in to that brokenness. Where are you, as we were hearing in the story, the cracked pot? Join me in a short reflection here. I want to invite you into contemplation, meditation. Feel where you are resting, your feet, the seat, the space around you. Feel the love of this community as it surrounds and enfolds. And feel your breath as it flows in and out of your body. Listen to your heartbeat. Listen to your heart. How is it? How is it with your heart? Does your heart feel whole, shielded by intellect, or cocooned by reason, or closed to feeling? Or is it broken, fragile to the touch, brimming with the pain of loss? Has your heart been broken and healed so many times that it now lies open to the world? Knowing that true growth does not come without pain, that tears may wear down barriers, that we may carry the hearts of others even when our own is too heavy to bear. How is it with your heart? None of us has, has an unblemished heart, not one. For perfection is found only in death. And we, we are alive. And we are alive and have so much to heal. Let us in this moment offer ourselves the space to be broken. What are those places? What are those moments? Let this be a moment of confession for yourself alone, that is sufficient for now. 
but done within the embrace of the community. You have all the space you need to be in as many pieces as you are. As we come out of this meditation, it may be that you will remain amidst the brokenness, and that is okay. You may not hear any more of the sermon, and that is okay. But let this moment be a space of holding and recognition. For all that you are, for all the parts that you are inside. I so appreciate one of the people who's been very good at talking about brokenness, which is Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton is an actor, a writer, a performer. And if you recognize the name, he was someone who was uh, featured largely in Star Trek The Next Generation. At that time, he was a teenager, coming of age within being in the show, being the the young upstart uh, Wesley, Wesley, in The Next Generation. And coming into himself and moving on into his adulthood. Now, Will Wheaton talks about his experience as a child actor and where he, in his case, was forced into that work by his parents. His father ignored him or bullied him. There was no, or belittled him. His mother forced him into, the, into acting, emotionally manipulated him into his work as a child. In short, Will Wheaton really didn't get a childhood. He was very good at what he did. But he was also not hardly ever listened to as a person. And that took its toll. And over, his, over the course of his life, he developed um, complex um, PTSD and, and had to find a way through that. And so part of what he does is talk about mental health concerns and the difficulties of being a child actor and, and bring that out into a human space. What he says was the space he disassociated from most of his childhood memory. But he has one, one place where he remembers well. And that's when he went to the library. The library is a safe space. Because one librarian saw him and observed him well enough to go and approach him and say, what would you like to explore? What would you like 
to read? What would you like to encounter? Even when he didn't feel anybody was paying attention to him at all. And that one person guided him towards this book and another book and another book, which he consumed voraciously. And it gave him life and and it gave him a sense of being seen. And he was deeply affirmed in that recognition of the library is a safe place. And he goes forth and talks about this. And he has moved forward in his process and in his adulthood to be an advocate and to be a voice. And then he takes the power that he has as such, the privilege, because he's a white, cisgender, uh, able-bodied male. And he, as he says, with the celebrity bonus card. So he brings this power out into the world to say, one, here's trauma. This wasn't okay. And if you're experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder, you are still fully human, even though this is profoundly broken in your life. And he also points out the value and the liberation of a place like the library. How much we need spaces of discovery, of recognition, of simply being able to move through and connect. We need places of trust, spaces where we can cultivate and care for our mortal selves. So it might be the library. It might be the church. But I want us to go forth and remember finding the ways that we get to claim our broken places and know that we have all the space we need to do so. So as a congregation, we might say, come as you are, discover who you are, and then prepare this space for our own hearts, for those who are here, and for those who will come. I so appreciate the librarian or the Montessori method or what have you that says, I see you and I invite you in all your flaws and all your fabulousness. It is all there. It's not a simple resolution. It is not finished work. There's no one conclusion to the message, but... It is a chance to keep going in the flow and the ebb of our lives. Our time is so limited and our opportunities so precious and what we can offer each other is so vast. Let us be a good gift to ourselves, to our children, and to our neighbors no matter how much of a mess we may be, there is still so much to give. Let us go forth. Amen.